Father's Day. Uh, again, y'all are listening on Monday. It is no longer Father's Day, but when you got a dad like mine, every day is Father's Day. Love my pops, and everybody always wants him on the show. But we got to give the people what they want. I got I got my dad on. I got him queued up on Zoom, which uh, is no small feat for any dad right now. And we are in separate rooms in the same house <laughs> on different computers, conducting a podcast on Father's Day. What's up, Dad? I'm doing great. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. It's a crazy time and we're all doing what we have to do to get through it. Two big things for me, this podcast, and we've had a ton of interesting guests of late, which has been great. And then hiking, uh, which I love doing. Like to get outside. Nice place to be where there's not a, a ton of people. There's a ton of good hikes in Virginia. I've been hitting the trails a lot and uh, that's in large part due to Allbirds. They are uh, the new sponsor of the Greenlight Podcast and I'm wearing a pair of these shoes uh, right now beige tree dashers they sent me uh they're great they're lightweight they're tough and they have to be because believe me i can uh, put a hurting on an athletic shoe I, I could zion williamson a shoe on the trail and these things stand up all birds also walks the walk when it comes to the environment so my tree dashers are made of all natural materials like merino wool eucalyptus fiber and sugarcane and they look good Really thrilled to welcome Allbirds to the Greenlight Pod. Go check them out at allbirds.com, the tree dashers. Happy Monday, Greenlight Pod. I'm your host, Chris Long, and I've got another person on the line. The people have been asking, where is Making Gunner? And I got Making Gunner right here for y'all. Making Gunner has been taking care of his new dog. So in a way, happy Father's Day, Make. What do you mean in a way? It's a full-on happy Father's Day to me, and I appreciate it. Zoe has been in the house for, I don't know, six weeks now. Feels like about six years, and the love is unconditional, and um, we're one big happy family. Hey, happy Father's Day to you as well. I know you have a couple uh, human progeny over there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Similar, similar feeling. I'm sure you waking up this morning and enjoying your first Father's Day as a dog owner, you know, and me. It, it is. I've been doing this Father's Day thing now four years, so uh, maybe it's not as big a deal to me as it was. What? How old is? How old are Waylon and Luke? Okay, Waylon is four, and Luke is one and a half. And Luke is, in my opinion. It's funny when you first have a kid and, and dads will tell, tell you this, the first kid, you count months for like way too long. People are like, how old's the kid? You're like 31 months. Like just say that they're two, you know, say that I, they're almost three. I need to interrupt. I couldn't agree with you more. And I just figured out why people do it that way because I got screwed up with weeks and months with the dog. Mm. I was like, Zoe's three months old. Yeah, And then it was tracked back to three months. So her birthday was three months ago. And I was like, oh, nah, it doesn't quite work like that. Yeah, she's 12 weeks old. So I now feel the people on that. What has been your favorite year? Zero, one, two, three, or four for the way, man. Mm. You know what? 
I would say two. Two is my favorite. They say terrible twos, but like in that year and a half. Now I'll say this. It it does always get better. You get caught sitting there thinking like, do I want him to get any older? Like, would I be cool if he was just frozen in time as a toddler forever? No, you 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 wouldn't want that. As much as you love baby talk and hearing him say dumb stuff and do cute things, like eventually kids got to grow up. So you fight the urge to want him to stay the same age. But I will tell you, uh, even though every year is better, my favorite in the moment was probably that one and a half to two and a half range where they're, they're just, they sound cute when they talk. They're kind of fat. I love that. Uh, you know, like for a while there, Waylon, we would root for him to get bigger cheeks and, you know, to have a bigger belly. I mean, he does have a beer belly. He hasn't shed that yet, but he's slimmed out a little bit and it almost bums you out. You're like, good for you. You're slimming out. But at the same time, I really enjoyed that stage. And then on top of that, Waylon has a mullet and that's kind of turned into a, a tail. Um, and I've recently started wondering when is the right time to address that situation? I'm going through the same thing with, with something on my face at present. So I feel your pain. Is that a beard? Yeah, I guess. I'm always flattered when people call it a beard. It's nice when I wear the mask because you can't see that none of it connects. Yeah. The neck is really coming in. Uh, mustache, more of a blonde situation. Soul patch, fairly strong. But, but the neck it. beard is is thick there for people that I'm seeing it on the Zoom call. You have gone full Christopher McCandless, who I explained to you last night, uh, is the guy from Into the Wild. Actually, they just hauled that bus out of Alaska. Did you ever see that movie? Nah. Well, you look like uh, Christopher McCandless. He was a dude that, okay. that yeah. uh, went into the woods willingly to live and, and eventually died. I physically, distancely saw you and your lovely wife, Meg, yesterday. And um, she said, Meg shoots it straight. Yeah, she doesn't lie. I feel. And um, she said, it really does look like, and I was waiting for the punchline here. It could have gone either way. And she goes, it really does look like you've been living outside. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because you also have completely relaxed your dress code. When you went into quarantine, you were a, you know, Dockers, J. Crew, khakis, button downs. Like you never wore things like I saw you wearing strolling up to the crib last night. You had like a loose short sleeve button down, some khaki shorts, which I don't see you in shorts a lot. And then the scruff and the, I mean, you looked like a hippie dude from Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know when else it would happen. So I still had, I think, a, a madras pattern on my top with a collar. So it's not like I'm going too crazy. Now, in the spirit of shooting you straight, make when you left, uh, I'm not going to lie, she did say he should shave that. <laughs> well, my lovely wife, Kate, um, agrees with that sentiment. So there's a lot of pressure building. I'm going to hold strong for as long as I can. Uh, what do your children, or perhaps just Waylon at this stage, what do they call you? What variation of the word dad, or yeah. do they call you Chris? Uh, well, sometimes when Waylon calls me Chris, he's being a prick and <laughs> I have to let him know that. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, but Waylon calls me, he still calls me dad. I mean, the minute he calls me dad, I'm going to be bummed. And yeah. even when I do that thing where you explain in the third person, what's going on that every parent does constantly in the third person, I have made a point that at times I've been like, when dad, 
you know, and then I stop and I'm like, when dad, dad does this, yeah, because I don't want him going to, you know, the dad, uh, I don't know what you would call it title too quickly. I love Dada. And then, uh, yeah, it's the same thing with Luke right now. I love on one to a hundred. I love my dog, Zoe, about a hundred. Yeah. How many, uh, what, what, uh, first off, what does Zoe call you? Um, to, to hit the tennis ball back to your side of the court. Yeah. She's not speaking yet. Um, but that unconditional love is reciprocated and it's very clear. She just does really it in clear. different ways. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm fun dad. Like when she will trot into the living room from the kitchen, I will introduce her. I'll, yeah. I'll go at dog from Virginia, <laughs> 22.2 pounds, Zoe rabbit. Her last name. And then she ends up being 22.1 pounds within a matter of seconds. Cause she takes a shit in your living room. She is, for the most part, stopped using the house as a toilet. I'm happy. Oh, to. that's good. Yeah, that's good. It's all about what do people level. think about this beard when you're out um, showing MLS? Again, that's the beauty of the mask. Like they can see it, and people who know me are like, "I oh, grew a beard." I was like, "Ah, yeah, you know, as as folks are wont to do in quarantine." Um, but again, it doesn't look as uh, it's bad with a be- awful. With, with a mask on. Yeah, with a mask on. Yeah. You were asking me a question. I'm sorry. Okay, I love my dog 100 out of 100. Would you say your love as a dog owner in your life many times over, dog human love about equal? Um, not Definitely not equal. What I'm doing right now is trying to figure out how many hundreds of times more you love your kid than you love a dog, Damn. which could be hard for you to ascertain right now because I can really tell that you are all in on dog ownership being like a parental kind of, I mean, you, uh, Kate, your lovely wife, Kate was telling me you kiss the dog. Oh yeah. A lot. Um, you know, you talk to the dog a lot and that's part of being a dog owner, but it's not the same. I would say probably at least 50 times. And I only say that because your brain is not going to be able to comprehend it. If I take it to a power of a hundred or 200. Yeah. It's hard to comprehend 50 X bro. Um, it's kind of like, let me explain it to you this way. Right now, you have your first high school girlfriend. Okay. You are drunk with love, hormones. Um, you don't know which way's up, and you don't think it could get any more serious. You and that dog are getting married. But I want to give you some sobering news. Eventually, life's going to go on. You know, the dog's not going to live to be 100. I know it's a hard thing to hear right now. And the dog's also not a human being. Uh, once you become, you know, a ch- uh, you know, responsible for a child, it's much, much different. It's like the difference between that high school relationship and actually getting married, but even, even more serious than getting married because you can't divorce your kids. I think that's probably a phenomenal analogy by you. Thank you. It, here's how, here's how messed up my brain is. I see her at 13 weeks and I'm like, damn, you're going to be dead in like 15 years. This is really sad. Like I'm already getting sad for the year 2035. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, when it gets here, you'll have a ton of great memories and you'll be able to recount, you know, you'll have pictures, you'll have videos, you'll have a ton of great conversations that y'all had to look back on, you know, all the things you say to each other. 
take you yeah. take your dog to, to little league and the high school graduation and that sort of thing. You see the dog take its first steps. Oh no, the dog was walking when you met it. Listen, let's because let's you go. drove your car to a breeder's house and let's, picked up the dog and separated it from all of its 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 kin. Let's the dog ownership let's, problematic. Let's go one for one here. What's the hardest stage of being a dad so far for you? Nice. The toughest stage? It might be the it might be the three stage because you know, as I mentioned, they're coming out of that very angelic, chubby, like a they're they're basically like a cherub. You know, they're also napping. Um, so that's nice. They're they're not crying anymore, they're potty trained, that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden they start thinking for themselves, you know, questioning things, pushing the envelope with you. They know how to they know you know, everything's a pissing contest sometimes being a parent of a young child and they know how to piss back now. You know, they're not just pissing aimlessly, they're pissing with accuracy. And mm-hmm. uh and on top of that, they stop taking naps. Um and then on top of that, if you have a second child, that child is going to change because the attention has shifted as well. So, an upside of this age is they get to start going to school, which is big for mama's happiness and, you know, dad's free time subsequently and all that, but and it's fun to see them at school, it's fun to see them make friends, but all of a sudden, they know what they're doing, and it's a different ball game. And they get skinnier. Without further ado, let's get to Howie Long. And Macon, come back soon. I know that we've been rolling in the guests, but we've got to do, the people are demanding that we, we see and hear more of Macon Gunner. Hey, man. Whenever you need me, my phone number is. And make a deepest of happy Father's Days. Hey, likewise, bro. Um, I, uh, why isn't there a Brother's Day? It's a great question. I think, it, I think Instagram has made it so that there's a, a, you know, a hashtag day for everything, so you have an excuse to post your thirst trappy picture. Um, you know, I've seen some people today just turning a Father's Day picture into a thirst trap picture, and that's really shameful. I, I know people love to congratulate themselves on birthdays, and they like to turn you know, a, a ton of occasions into an excuse for posting a, a picture of themselves that they feel like looks kind of sexy. Father's Day is not the day to do that, guys. Nah, nah. I'm curious as to how much longer we can draw out this goodbye. Uh, seven seconds. Let's get Howie Long on the, on, on the line. Peace. Main event here, Father's Day. Uh, again, y'all are listening on Monday. It is no longer Father's Day, but when you got a dad like mine, every day is Father's Day. Love my pops, and everybody always wants him on the show. Only had him on once in a segment we called Hey Dad that turned into a really interesting interview that lasts about an hour. But the, we got to give the people what they want. I got, I got my dad on. I got him queued up on Zoom, which uh, is no small feat for any dad right now. And we are in separate rooms in the same house <laughs> on different computers conducting a podcast on Father's Day. What's up, Dad? I'm doing great. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day for the sake. I mean, and so the listeners know we've told each other that in person. Yeah. Texted each other in the morning. Yep. So we're not like just weirdos where um, we got to Can't say it enough. Podcast. Can't say it enough. Yep. No doubt about it. So, and to all the dads out there. Absolutely. Uh, fighting heck, the good fight. <laughs> fighting the good fight. We were just down at the pool with the kids fighting the good fight. Waylon has, has started swimming with the help of uh, my parents. They are somehow great uh, swim instructors 
I'll tell you what, it, it was it was June 12th, and I think it was around 3 o'clock, so I know exactly when it was. It's funny, when you guys were young, I was playing, and I was so, you know, it, it was just a different time. You know, none of the money was guaranteed, and you could be let go at any time. So, you know, there was always that pressure to provide for the family, and uh, you didn't really take time to stop and, you know, take a Polaroid of what's happening. And I, I'll always remember him taking that first stroke on June 12th, which was just fabulous. Yeah. It, and he's like in a week, just all of a sudden, like uh, Aquaman out there. So <laughs> we got that going for us and we will be able to be out on Flathead Lake soon, uh, swimming in, in <clears throat> Montana, which is always our summertime. You know, it, that's the light at the end of the tunnel with whatever's going on. So Excited to get out there, and uh, maybe we'll do another podcast. But for now, I told Dad, you, the listeners, had submitted a number of great questions. Actually, it's you know sometimes when I it's it's interesting. Sometimes I don't I, if I said my dad's coming on, I wouldn't know exactly what to ask him. But you guys ask all the right questions. I'll start with a couple of mine though. I did jot down in in, in the spirit of being, you know, not a totally lazy podcast host. Uh, I got questions from my own dad about fatherhood. What was one thing you wish you knew earlier about being a dad? Oh, I wish, you know, and I think we just touched on it. I, I wish I was so caught up in trying to be the best provider that I could be and, and be the best football player I could be. And, you know, even when I was home, I was there, but my mind was moving around in other places. How do I? You know, I retired and, and there wasn't a lot of money and we've been fortunate enough to make most of our money after football. But I would say the being in the moment, seeing the Polaroid that you can lock in your mind of those moments. And I certainly have a number of those locked in my mind of you guys, but uh, would have liked to have had those earlier. Yeah, you know what? It's funny because you've said that before. And I think one of the great things about you as a dad is like you you have that reflection but then you you communicated it to me you didn't just keep it to yourself so as i'm like staring down the barrel towards the end of my career knowing hey maybe it's a year or two more maybe it's three years more i don't know if i'm lucky uh is it worth it you know because you know you describe wanting things to slow down and i of course had kids later in my career and all that you know being after 30 and whatnot but that factored in, like what you told me factored into when I thought about, hey, like maybe it's time to to get off the treadmill. And then also like being cognizant of the fact that when I get home, trying to be present, and which was hard as a football player sometimes. Really hard. And, <clears throat> you know, there's so much. And now there's even, I, I think there's even more pressure now to a great extent because of all the mediums that cover you. If you make a mistake or you do something good, it's shown 5,000 times that day and that night, and it's across the world in China in 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, you know, people, there, there are no shortage of critics. There are no shortage of people who are willing to pat you on the back. And I think you have to take both with equal measure. What was the hardest transition into being a dad? Well, you know, and you and I have had this conversation. Um, I'd like to think that some of you being a dad and hopefully when Kyle's a dad and hopefully when Howie's a dad, <clears throat> you know, you take some of how we did things here and 
you know, the main, the main consensus is you're always going to make mistakes. That's, that's a consistent theme, but you just have to kind of reevaluate every night when you lay your head on the pillow and say, was I a good dad? Is there something I could have done better? Uh, and when you have one, two, three boys, it's, it becomes more of a challenge. Um, I, I would say because of my background, not really having that dad there, uh, my, my father grew up in an orphanage from birth to 18 years old and then went in the army. And first woman he met was my mother. And, you know, for whatever reason, the whole thing went south. And uh, my dad was living in a car on Main Street. Uh, so I, I, I certainly can't take that frame of reference and use that in terms of raising our, our boys. Uh, but as you and I have talked about, the older I get, the more understanding I am of what a difficult situation he had in his life, being in an abusive, uh, you know, uh, orphanage, and then you know having go in the military. And because he was six seven, you know, at that time the legal limit was six six in the military, and they had to find someone else to put you somewhere else to put you, and they put him in the Alaskan ski patrol and threw a couple of head 221s on his feet and said, go down the hill. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that was probably, I think I give your mom a lot of credit uh, watching your mom, your mom, who's a saint and, you know, is every day is just the best person I know. And she, uh, she has such a big heart and has such great patience. Um, and that was something that I needed to learn. And, you know, as a player, we're taught to be fast reactors and volatile. That doesn't work at home. Yeah. And I thought to your credit, like, and you and your dad got closer towards the end of his life. And I thought that was really cool to see you guys kind of figure some things out. And um, I thought it was important later on in his life. And, you know, as my career winded down and we were in, and really kind of the catalyst for that was Montana, which is, you know, I, yeah. I, my dad would sit out, I, I, he'd come up there and, you know, coming from Charlestown, he, he would be out in that fire pit yeah. <laughs> four in the morning, drinking whatever he was drinking and smoking, whatever he was smoking and uh, just loved it to death. And he was on the trampoline with you guys. He really was a big kid. It was Amaretta and, and Marlboro's. Amaretta de Cerrone, I think. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Whatever uh -huh. that is. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. It's not my taste of liquor. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was important as I also thought it was important. I thought it was important for him to be a part of your lives. And I, I thought that was a good thing. Uh, I also thought it was really important that when your, your grandmother on your mother's side passed away, um, I had talked, you know, Frankie, your your mm -hmm. grandfather, into coming and living with us down here, and I, I really thought he was such a, uh, he would be such a great influence, and and it would be a great experience for you three boys to have him around. And as it turns out, those ten years were a blessing. Yeah, he was a great grandfather, and I think um, one of the things about like fatherhood or just learning, you know, how to be a man or whatever, that's like a never ending, that's a never ending journey. And, <clears throat> you know, we're always improving. And so like, 
to see him have that second opportunity as a grandfather and then y'all become fr- friends. It was, it was cool. So yep. what, what, what was, um, what's your best moment as a dad, what your highlight reel as a dad, give me, uh, give me the number one. Oh God, there were so many. Uh, I don't think there's a number one. I mean, certainly with you, it was, you know, the down in Atlanta, I mean, down in Houston and, and playing Atlanta in the Super Bowl and, you know, that that day ran the gamut of emotions because not that I had talked you into going to, you know, New England, but, you know, I, I'm trying to push you in a direction or, or give my two cents on what direction gave you the best opportunity to win because there's nothing like winning a championship. And I think uh, I felt somewhat responsible when I think the score was, what, 28 to 3? <laughs> yeah, you felt like an asshole. And I was like the worst dad in the world. And it's, you know, I can't help you with your chemistry homework, but I should at least be able to help you a little bit with football. And it, it didn't look good. And, and to watch that comeback and to see, you see the emotion on your face and to have Waylon and Meg there. And, you know, it, it was just fabulous. It really was. That was a, that was a great moment. I go back to Cove Creek. Cove Creek yeah. was another great moment where little league, you know, 13 year old league. Yeah. We go from little league down in McIntyre to uh, down to Cove Creek, which is another league in a bigger field. And, um, you know, there were a lot of kids who were really, really good in little league. And, you know, at some point genetics kind of catches up and it caught up that, that, that one final two weeks of the playoffs and, and the championship game. And you end up winning the MVP of the league. And yeah, I don't remember much about that other than hitting five dingers in, in a weekend. Oh, I remember I'm just fucking with you. I was just saying, I remember, I remember my exact that. stats. We were the fifth best team in a league of five. Okay. Which is a small league, but. You know, this this Cove Creek it has so many levels of competition. So uh, we were number five by a wide like the only reason we made the playoffs because they said every team makes the playoffs. We played the first seeded Diamondbacks. They had a kid named Jeremy Crawford, who yep. was a bad ass dude. And that dude was hitting bombs like he was 23 and he had a mustache, the whole nine. Yeah. Um, we beat the Diamondbacks maybe 21-14 or something crazy. Yeah. We beat the Phillies. <clears throat> And then we beat the Mets in the championship. And, and they, it was, all, they actually, in the championship game, they actually walked you with the bases loaded to walk in the tying run because you had hit, you know, two home runs that day. A few uh, days. So I, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, yeah, that's you know, good. That was the original playoff run. The, the Eagles playoff run was improbable, but Cove Creek, 1998, might have been the most in my career. Hey, what about, when? what's a period in my life that you've been the most nervous or scared for me? Ooh, that's a good one. I think when you make the transitions, <clears throat> you know, the same thing that I was nervous and, you know, I don't know, scared is maybe not the right word, but really nervous. It, it, for me, it was um, going through the busing riots in Boston uh, and being raised by my grandmother and, you know, growing up in a few different homes and my grandmother reaching out to my uncle Billy, who had two kids and two adopted kids and taking me in working in the projects and making no money building, you know, doing painting on the weekends. So working seven days a week. And I, I just remember him having that hole in the passenger side of the Maverick, the side of a size of a basketball. And he drove every day an hour into work and an hour back home and then 
painted houses on the weekends and we, we didn't have much money. And uh, to make that transition, I'd never played organized sports. I'd never played on one team. And we walk in there and a high school coach sees me there. And, and, and it was that kind of a transition for you where you're going out for high school football. Unfortunately, you have the burden. And it was something that I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about when we had kids. There's that added burden of you being my son and the expectations and the, the pressure and all of that. And, you know, making that transition and watching the player that you became, you know, throughout your, the course of your career in high school and then making the transition to college. It, it was like for me, I, <clears throat> that was a frightening time. I remember, you know, the first first week of training camp at Villanova and I'm, I'm sure you had the same kind of nerves and you know and you guys had a really Al good, good physical team and uh -huh. your practices were <clears throat> were very physical um that transition and then of course the transition to pro football but you know you uh, and I've said this many times you just you're a 15 rounder you uh you're hard to kill uh, you're like, what's that? What's that character Denzel Washington plays? And uh, uh, there's three. I three feel like all of Denzel's roles are pretty. He's hard to kill in almost all his. Yeah, movies. I was gonna I, say uh, maybe a cockroach for me. <laughs> he, yeah, he's uh, he was t he's tough in those movies. Let's do some mailbag from the fans here, okay? Yeah, you got it. Uh, this is from Riley Welker. Uh, for your dad, what was your favorite game to watch when I played? This is, I guess, me asking a question. In my career, what was your favorite game to watch? Maybe not Super Bowls, because those are obvious, and I don't want to make you choose sides. You know, there were so many games in <clears> – I, I would say, obviously, we talked about uh, the Super Bowl down in Houston, and, and then uh, to follow that up, the improbable follow-up of, you know, deciding to leave New England and going to Philadelphia and – you know, reestablishing yourself literally from the ground up uh, because people don't realize when you make that kind of a transition that, you know, you've got to earn every, every ounce of and every minute of playing time. Especially you when you're play. older. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> to watch what you did through the course of that year and the, the number of, that was really the thing. Being in New England was about being selfless. Being in New England was about being part of a program and the program's bigger than you. And, you know, where you play week to week depends on what's best for the program. And that's not for everyone. And going to Philadelphia and having the opportunity to turn it loose to a great extent at a position that you're used to playing. Yeah. And watching the number of big plays that you made to contribute and particularly late in games was so much fun to watch. There was a fun run. I was thinking back to your career and, you know, you did a great job of shielding me from, from being aware of, you know, how special your career was or, you know, you how different you were going to work every day and being a part of, you know, being a Super Bowl champion, a pro bowl and all that stuff. You were just my dad. So when I turn the TV on, I always tell the story about when you were playing the bills game uh, in the snow and how cold was it again? 27 below and just going back and forth this is when i'm maybe six years old because it was 91 maybe or 90 91 yeah 89 91 so we were just me and my buddy blake solomon shout out to blake solomon i don't know if you still listen if you listen to green light pod somewhere wherever you are uh we were just playing nhl on sega and we were going back and forth 
as if it wasn't a big deal that you were playing the game. So I, I'd always love to go back and watch more games. And maybe that I've never seen you play, you know, Washington in the Super Bowl, like front to back. I want to see that game, you know, <laughs> or maybe one of those chippy games. So I'm going to dive into the uh, the film room now that well, I have watch access. The, watch, you want to watch the Washington game in 83 in Washington. Okay. We lost to set up the Super Bowl rematch. Got it. Got it. Okay, I'll start there. Somebody said, Hank uh, says, ask him between you and your brother, who would be better with a flat top and who would be an evil henchman in, a, in an action movie? Oh, I'd say easy. You're the flat top. I've seen the flat top on you at... Yeah, right with the now, wind, the wind hits right on the sea dew. Uh, you know, I got a little bit of a, a right baby around value. right around Whalen's age, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a really good flat top, and uh, Kyle. Yeah, he's easy. He's built for the. He's he's a total evil. You know. Listen, not only does he look just like, uh, unfortunately, the guy that got backed into the propeller in in the Indiana Jones movie, and we all know that scene. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But he has phenomenal villain range. I mean, I could see him, you know, being Seabass and Dumb and Dumber, kicking in the, the stall door. I could see, you know, him being a villain in Roadhouse, Bloodsport. He could be a villain in almost any genre or subgenre of movie. Yeah, yeah. No, bring in the Kraken. You know, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's him. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Taylor, uh, both of us. Who is your favorite quarterback to sack? Uh, you know, I, I'd have to say the one that was probably the most challenging to sack. I know who you're going to say. Uh, and it was the one I saw so much was John Elway. Um, and to add to that, when you're playing up in Denver, people don't realize, you know, that altitude is real. And, <laughs> you know, if they go no huddle the first drive and they drive the length of the field and then your team turns the ball over really quickly and you're back on the field again, you're digging down to a place that you've never dug before. And John was, was really ahead of his time uh, from, a, from an ability standpoint. His ability to, you know, bootleg, throw the ball, you know, 70 yards downfield across the field. He was, he was Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes. <clears throat> and I don't know that they really knew what to do with it initially, and they tried to fit a square peg in a round hole, but then they, they found their, their stride. And, and unfortunately for him, well, fortunately for him, he, he ends up winning back-to-back Super Bowls and retiring. But the John you saw in those Super yeah. Bowls was not the John that I saw. Uh, and I was happy that he got the two Super Bowls and happy for him. But he was probably my favorite to compete against. Elway in the helmet with the Bull Durham logo and the bright orange uniforms was different than Elway in those hideous, uh, you know, those those yeah. weird pant stripes and yeah. – and the uh, the the well, you've the seen it. You've seen his helmet in the gym. Yep, yep. That's one of the good ones you got there. You got a lot of great helmets. I I, I would say for me, you know, two guys that I had hat tricks against, and Russell, I had a few hat tricks against. But Drew and Drew Brees and Russell Wilson. For Drew Brees, I mean, that's the best player I sacked a lot. Now Eli Manning, I damn near finished and and, and ended my career with um, sack one was Eli and sack sixty nine was Eli. Or 68, because then my last sacks were two against Deshaun Watson. Russell Wilson. Should have been, should have been four. Should have been three or four. I missed one that yeah. just haunts me. But I, you know how bad I just wanted to get to 70 and call it a day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, Russell, for me, because it was a division rivalry, it was heated. 
their own line were, and I respected them, but they were a Tom Cable group. They were a bunch of pricks. So yeah. to hit him, and we were stacked up front, and we hit him a lot. You know, me and Rob would have multiple three sack that, games against them, and most of those games we'd that lose. Was wasted. Yeah, it was wasted. We were um, wasted. But I love Russ because you know we both saw Russ growing up. He really is, uh, you know, a, a classy dude and uh, a dude that has been almost under underappreciated in his career. And as much as I'm saying Drew Brees is that's my Hall of Famer mm -hmm. that I love. I'll put that picture up so my kids to see all the times I sack Drew. Russell might end up being better. You know, it's interesting about Russell because you know our family background with him because he played in the same division in high school, yeah. both in football and baseball. And, and I, I still remember throwing the football with him in a parking lot as a, golly, a 13 year old Yeah, and calling over to Virginia saying university of Virginia saying there's a kid out here in Richmond who throws the ball better than anybody you have on your staff in, in your team. Yeah. You need to offer this kid as soon as possible. Now, fast forward, you know, did I think it would catch up to him going from high school to college? I, I and I'm a big, big fan and always have been. Love Russell. Yeah. Uh, but I, I admittedly thought it would catch up to him a bit. You and everybody. I mean, it who didn't. who knew at that but, point? But then he goes from NC State to Wisconsin, leads him to the Rose Bowl. And again, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but you get to the NFL and it's going to be different. The height thing, the build thing. He just didn't look like, you know, yeah. uh, you know, but, think about but how many doors he opened up for other quarterbacks? Yes. Because I, I think if, if you have a young mobile quarterback who can both throw from the pocket and pull it down and run and look to throw versus looking to run, um, you want to show them tape of Russell, not just for that, but also for, the number of hits Russell doesn't take because Russell's smart. Right, exactly. He's the proof that as a mobile quarterback, it doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to get beat up if you know how. Now, the one thing he has, he struggled with sliding at times in the open yes, field. Yes, isn't but that he, weird? It's the weirdest thing. He's such a great athlete, but he didn't slide well. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is opening that door for shorter quarterbacks as well. I mean, he, you know, he's not the first short quarterback, but you know, you wonder how many great quarterbacks got passed up on for years because there wasn't a Russell Wilson. How many, how many great quarterbacks ended up being running backs, wide receivers, yep. and quarterbacks? Yeah. <clears throat> Hell, we could, go at, we could go deeper and deeper, but I played against Warren Moon. How did Warren Moon have to go to Canada for five years? Yeah, well, we know, we know how. No, uh, I, but, I, I just yeah. – it boggles my mind. Yeah, no, uh, I know. But, you know, the kid – I'll give you another example. The kid out in Arizona special. Yeah. Yeah. But how many opportunities would he get if it's not for Russell Wilson or yeah. guys that are shorter, you know? But you, so. what made me think of him was the slide because they're both kind of middle infielder guys. Yeah. And, and the kid in Arizona goes from vertical to horizontal in a split second. Not far to go. You just can't, right? There's a <laughs> I mean, short joke. I mean, but I'm not trying to make it, but it's true. I mean, you know, is Brock Osweiler going to slide better than Kyler Murray? I don't no, think so. And, uh, and that was Cam. Cam is, first thing I said when I saw Cam in person, so I said, damn, <laughs> you're a big son. Yeah. You know, it just, it spit right out of my mouth. I was like, oh my God, he's big. Yeah. He had a hard time getting from vertical to down. Mm-hmm. 
to avoid the hit. And, and it's one of the reasons why he took so many hits. And part of that is Cam's such a big physical guy. He thinks he can truck everyone. And you want to use him that way. I mean, they ran more schemes where. Particularly where, in the blue line. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's tough. I mean, that's yep. really tough. So, you know, well, the Cam thing is a whole nother topic. The next one from Derek, how would Howie have handled the social media criticism Chris faced, which you've kind of already answered. And then what would I have appreciated if I could have played in, in your era? And maybe you could chime in and think for me here, but I would have appreciated, I, I don't know if I would have appreciated anything because you all played on AstroTurf. You had long training yeah. camps, yeah. less money, maybe yeah. the O-line technique. You know, like maybe I, I would I would think as it applied to I, I was I'm viewing your question as one that's directed towards social media. Yeah, I, I'm not directing it towards. Yeah, the turf was horrible. Right. Uh, the kingdom was horrible. Philadelphia was the worst. They're literally those those steel kind of plates that you see on on highways or in the city that are covering up a hole yeah. that drive a um, truck through. Mm-hmm. They had those underneath the turf. And then if you had a baseball field that got converted to football, there were seams where you catch your foot. Yeah. And you, you'd also catch your foot, obviously. And the thing about Buffalo was, Buffalo was on a crown, and they knew exactly where it, where it was. But as the weather got bad, one section going down was really slippery. The other one wasn't. Yeah. So they called their plays and, and ran their offense based on that. That's wild. I had no idea. I had no idea. You find that out afterwards. And then, I, you know, the word was they always had like, and you, you're too young to know snow tires. but no, snow I, know, t- I know them now, but I, I don't have well, to use snow them. tires have a little, a little metal. Yeah, the metal well, meshing that you put around the tire. Well, no, it's a little nub. It used to be in well, the maybe tire. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> all these little metal nubs in the tire. So what they would do is they would take a like a small screw, screw it into the bottom. Remember those? Remember those Nike uh, turf shoes that had like you know a quarter inch, yeah, yeah, yeah. all over the bottom. Yeah. They would screw right into that and then snip it off. Golly! So they'd have essentially have snow tires. Buffalo doesn't fight fair. Um... <laughs> no, but, hey, Buffalo is a great team. I know, great but team. that 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 might be a second. And you always. You always loved Jim Kelly and those guys. I mean, you just yeah. re- had gushed with the respect that you had for them. And then also, I know that was just a hell of a place to play. I love playing there. This is a segue in the next question, uh, coincidentally. Uh, MG asks, love the pod. Would love to know your pop's favorite place to play and loudest place to play. And, and mine as well. My favorite was probably Candlestick um, because the division mm. playing out in the... Something about playing on the West Coast felt almost primal to me because <clears> you played there. So, yeah. like, if I played the Rams at the Coliseum and saw that flame, I'm like, you played right I, in front of that thing. I have to tell you, 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 it's interesting, and I don't want to go backwards on in terms of the interview. We did that game when you played the Rams. Uh, oh, when, Eagles Rams. No, the Eagles played the Rams out yeah. there when yeah. you were with the Eagles. Yeah. And you end up making the play at the end of the game, and I'm at the stadium. I'm there. So I'm seeing this in person, and it's just – Fast forward 24 years, and Whalen's making that play in L.A. Right, right, right. It, it's, it's surreal. It, it was surreal. Or for me in, in I'm doing live or something, yeah. It's... Yeah, I'm doing live TV, and, and I can't help but act the fool. 
Yeah. Luckily though, you don't, you don't have to go on for a little bit. You had some time to gather yourself, but yeah, for sure. Like the history of you feel the history when you walked out in the Coliseum, I know it's going to be no more. Or when you walked down the candlestick, candlestick was a very stripped down. I mean, you walked off the bus through a double door there's fans everywhere. There's trees growing in the parking lot. It's just dilapidated. You walk through the door, the locker room's right there on the right and the field's fucking 50 yards ahead. And I can remember countless. Yeah, bloodbath type games with the Niners and that yeah. group. And just feeling like you walk through this door, it's just going to be a fight. And you loved it. I mean, it was like throwback it's, football. It's, I'd say the loudest it, place it, for me was Seattle. It's one of those gladiator games. I I, I will – I'll go – mine – same kind of direction was, one, loudest is easy. It was the kingdom. Mm. And the kingdom was louder than Seattle. Mm-hmm. It was louder than the, the new stadium in Seattle. It was just a concrete, reverberating kind of. It was as if you were at an AC/DC concert right on the speaker. Yeah. And the games were hard to play up there because your offensive line really, really struggled. You know, mm-hmm. they had a very good defense. They had a very good defensive line, and they keyed on getting off on the ball. And you know, inevitably you would fumble or turn the ball over early. And the next thing you know, you're down 14 points. And the kind of game you play on defense versus a, a 14-0 deficit versus a team that It likes sounds exactly like us playing the Seahawks at that ballpark in the yep. NFC West. Yep. It was like a 14-9 game. You're hanging in there. You're just kicking field goals late in the game. Their D-line fucks some shit up. You know, fumble return for a touchdown. We're out yep. of it. Yep. And I would say best would be, I just enjoyed playing, you know, one in San Diego, the weather was great. The, the grass was cut tight. It was really tight. Uh, and the funny thing was, and people don't even realize this, where you came out of the locker room in the one end zone at the old stadium, that end zone from the 10-yard line in was downhill. Hmm. So if you had them backed up inside the 10, imagine pass rushing downhill, literally. Yeah, you it got power. Literally downhill. I mean, you could, you could roll a ball down the hill. Uh, but the rest of it was great. The weather was great. Uh, more often than not, we would be playing down there when it's you know, maybe a Monday night or, or whatever. And uh, you know, early on in particular, when – Dan and that whole group. That whole group looked a lot like the old Ram on offense. Right. The only difference was it was Kellen centric. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, my rookie year up, he scored five touchdowns on us up in Oakland, um, and it was like, you know, it was like it was like Baskins and Robbins. You know, I mean, pick a number. He's he's yeah. burning them. You know, he played great, and they were a great team. How about uh, somebody asked, uh, Brass asked, can we get your pops all Dark Alley team? Is this from my team? From your teams in your day. <clears throat> oh, Lyle is right there for sure. Yeah, he goes in first. Yeah, yeah. You send Just to Lyle see what's in the first. alley. I, I'd say Bill Piquel. Um, Godfather. Yep. Uh, Bill would die for you. Um, literally die for you. I mean – Quick Bill story. He had a gal came a guy came over dating his daughter in high school, and this is the best line I've ever heard. Uh, so Johnny, what are you going to be doing tonight? 
well, Mr. Vakel, we're going to go over to Jimmy's house. And, you know, he said, well, is there going to be any alcohol there? And, you know, the kid kind of stuttered. And Bill said to him, and this is when Bill was, Bill's big now, but he was in shape and, yeah. and different than he said, because I just want you to know, I, I'll do the time. <laughs> That's the best line I've ever heard in my life. Rick Townsend, because he's quick. Matt Millen, even with the new heart. Chester McLaughlin. Um, you know, that's a good group. Yeah, right the real that's good group. group. You guys yeah. had some tough. I'm going to go Aaron Donald, uh, one of the oh, baddest sure. dudes. I mean, you know, a lot of great players don't necessarily mean they're tough guys. This no, guy I agree. I agree. is a tough guy uh, and physically could pick you up and throw you over a fence. Uh, yeah. You know how people throw people through windows in a movie? Aaron could do that in real life. William Hayes, one of the strongest people, one of the most loyal friends uh, I've ever had and was my rush right next to him. He came in the game after me in St. Louis, and he was one of the most underrated players, but also just a badass. Kendall Langford, like a bear. I mean, this dude, he gets his hands on you, it's over. Eugene Sims, who not a lot of people know, but Eugene Sims hmm. is one of the – when you want to talk about fighting and actually throwing hands, I, this guy's like a 280-pound featherweight. Huh? That's what people don't understand. Some people are good fighters. I was a good fighter. Um, yeah. Kyle's a Kyle's too good a fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, tell the size in there with Kyle. It's not. It's not really a fair fight. And no. and there, there we go. I'm going to throw Kyle in at the end there. What's that for the alleyway? Yeah, for the alleyway team. Oh, I mean, he's I didn't going, know Kyle was an option to go in the alleyway. Well, you know, because he's in my family, I pulled him. Oh, okay. Although he played for another team, I pulled Kyle in. So. So that's pretty good. We got we got a good lineup there. Uh, Anthony Zamora asked, "Do you? Uh, this is for me. Do you have plans to retire a Ram, or is that bridge burned? The bridge was never burned, and my dad could tell you this because we had Les Snead over for dinner in Montana a year ago. Like, yeah. I, I I've never, and my dad could tell you this. I was never bitter about the Rams thing. I was never bitter about the Rams thing. Um, you you were know, pragmatic about it. Yeah, and honestly, I would have retired a Ram, but they moved to L.A. I'm not an L.A. Ram. I'm a St. Louis Ram." And to be honest, uh, you know, the team that I most associate with now is, you know, Boston. I was there for a year. I loved a lot about that, but I didn't live in the city. I wasn't like a big part of the community there. And, uh, you know, fans are super supportive, but I didn't get to know them the way I knew people in Philly. And that was a lot of that was geography. And I was putting my head down and just there for one reason. And in Philly, uh, it was like the city just got a hold of me. So uh, if I ever do the official retire as something, you know, I'll probably do it as, as an Eagle. But I really, uh, you know, I might just want to go back to St. Louis and pick my favorite dive bar and retire as a St. Louis Ram. Have my little press conference with one of my drinking buddies there, uh, maybe one of the old equipment guys that's left living in St. Louis, and we have a little presser. I felt like you, you, you immersed yourself into that city, being living downtown and being a part of it, and. I remember that night after the championship game uh, that was versus Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, you made the big play and forces a, a flutter ball and interception return for a touchdown and game's over. <clears throat> I remember mom, your mom and I were stuck. <clears throat> we ended up barricades downtown. We couldn't get to our hotel. We had to park at a hotel five blocks. And it was, it, honestly, it looked like the purge. Yeah. And your mom and I are walking. Of course, mom, your, your mom is like, oh, we'll just say hello to people. We're going to be friendly. <laughs> so keep your head down. Because I'm thinking, who am I going to have to knock out on the way back to the hotel? 
Yeah, because everybody's but, drunk. Even if they're on your team, everybody's drunk. No, but drunk. thankfully, you know, you were you were a big, big part of that team, and and that's yeah. So you were good that night. <laughs> I had car blunts. It was like it was like I had you know if I were if I were getting pulled over by the cops and I had a cop car. Yeah, you know, yeah. I had the Chris Long car. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's the biggest difference? Um, between his and your era of NFL playing days, I think the second part of this conversation we get, who had more tools in their pass rushing toolbox? I may have had more different yes. like moves. No question. And been a, an edge rusher more, but you could do edge rushing and rush inside, mm -hmm. and you could rush inside at such a high level that for no. me that versatility, I think, gives you the edge. And if you I have more sack you, by 13. If I got you in a phone booth, I was good. Yeah. I, I, I could win in a phone booth. I the, the further away from the ball I got, the air got thinner, and I, I wasn't comfortable. You know, it's funny. Everybody's always like, just like your dad, you guys are the same. You know, obviously, no. you're a better player. But, like, at the same time, like, we didn't play the same positions. So it's always a, a lazy comparison with any D lineman to yes. be like, this guy is this guy is this you guy. You know, it's like people not understanding. I went into the Hall of Fame as a defensive end. Calling me a defensive end is like putting a ribbon on a pig. Yeah. I played a base pure two gap three four every snap and then on third down moved inside on the guard or over the nose or over the other guard yeah. so anywhere between those two guards i felt comfortable otherwise i didn't think i was uh my level of play went up exponentially between the two guards right i was Sorry. comfortable sitting head up on the nose yeah. if we went bare front and i could get an iso on the center i was very comfortable yeah, I mean, especially I've heard you talk about this since, you know, in high school, I've lined up in bear sometimes and maybe in college, you ball hand, ball hand, you know, get on that ball hand to the center. Well, think and, about it. Think about that, how puckered up that center is. Mm -hmm. When the stud duck suddenly pops down there and he's cocked on your ball hand side mm -hmm. and he's got to snap the ball and then get his ball hands, mm -hmm. hand up to block you. And what that opens up is a guy overcompensating and oversetting. And when he oversets, he's throw that right hook from Cleveland. Yeah. What's your favorite? Uh, somebody asked what my favorite St. Louis sports figure is. I'd say Yachty. And I didn't even like baseball, but Yachty was like the everyman. He's catcher, badass, neck tat, humble yeah. dude, just like a dude you didn't want to fuck with, even though he's a baseball player and you, and you knew it. Uh, Steven Jackson, for me. As a teammate, a guy that our primes overlapped only slightly, but a guy that for me with his stats and you consider the context of what he played in, oh, I think there's an argument to be made for him getting in the hall. So for for for, for Jack, I, I love Jack. Um, how about you in Boston? You grew up in Boston. Do you have a favorite uh, athlete? Bobby Orr. I know. Uh, easy. Bobby Orr. I have, <clears throat> I have one picture up in my office of uh, – aside from you guys, uh, of an athlete. And it's Bobby Orr. Uh, he was everything in Boston. And, and hockey was huge in Boston. And, you know, I grew up playing street hockey. And whenever I could afford to, or I had, you know, was fortunate enough to get a ride someplace to play hockey on ice, uh, which was a real challenge. Uh, but I, I lived, slept, breathed hockey and loved hockey and wanted to be a pro hockey player somebody asked do you have a favorite sack that you uh that you had in your career 
That's a good question. I hadn't really, you know what? I never really, it's funny. I never really, it's not like in today's game or where you're playing defensive end. My whole thing was, and this is what Al, Al Davis preached to me was you disrupt everything, just disrupt everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want you to do. Be a disruptor. Mm -hmm. Don't care about numbers. And we never really made numbers a point of emphasis. They just you know, do for now. Example, it's just so... Yeah, I mean, we just didn't do it. Uh, yeah. Elway, um, you know, there were big sacks. Uh, but there were a lot of those, you break free in a split second, the quarterback dodges you and somebody else hits him. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of that. I guess I'll go any game winner. Uh, you know, there was one Christmas game where I was due a bonus if I got to eight and a half sacks. It was like my third or fourth year in the league, and I was really starting to come on. It was my third year, I believe. And I beat um, Anthony Davis, who him and I had a quite the relationship. Um, I beat him for a sack, stripped Alex Smith. We win the game, got the bonus. It was a large bonus. Uh, the Jets in New England, that was a fun one. That was a walk-off, the Rams sack. But honestly, like you said, a lot of it's not even, you know, a, a sack. You know, for me, it was hitting Keenum's arm or um, – I guess I guess maybe – the here's one that I forget. Like, my last game, I felt like I was kind of dominant in that game a little bit, quietly. Um, it's hard to be quietly dominant, but I had a really good game. And I'd say sacking Drew Brees in my last game in the pros and, and finishing on a high note was one for me. So. How and, did and, and that was and that was one of those games where you, that was the second time around, correct? Yeah, we got our asses kicked the first God, time, God, God. and then we kicked their ass. Other than that punt, the fake punt, and the the goal line sequence. Yeah, and if, if Brandon Brooks doesn't get hurt, who unfortunately is hurt again, and hope he recovers, one of the best at what he does. Uh, if he didn't get hurt, a, you had such a mentally tough team. Yeah, uh, you really did. We just won, won too many. Uh, we ran out of lives, and it just—I um, really thought if we won that game, and I hate <clears> doing the if thing because the Saints did it to us um, the year before, I believe it was. If they had beaten the Vikings, they would have beaten us. I do believe that we would have had a shot had we beaten them. So, uh, and of course, the Bears could probably tell you the same thing. You know, with the double doink game and all that, it's just playoff football. Um, how did your dad get cast as Tom Hanks' boyfriend in that thing you do? <laughs> It was uh, Tom is a big Raider fan. Really? Tom, yeah. Tom Hanks is a huge Raider fan, like old school Raider fan. And, you know, got a call and. Uh, he Howie, can you role. be my boyfriend? He had his role and I said, you know, it, it was funny because it, it wasn't I wasn't overtly his boyfriend. And, you know, there was there was no you know swap and spit or anything like that. Uh, I was just driving him around the car and I was waiting for him in ballet parking. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a brief, probably a two minute scene. Yeah. And it was a Disney movie, I believe. And what ended up happening was I ended up in the director's cut, but not in the yeah. theatrical release because Disney wasn't comfortable with establishing. I, I, I'm not sure this is what I heard. It could be that I was just terrible. And Tom said, can that put that on the floor? <laughs> Uh, but you know, Tom being, he never established the fact that Tom was gay in the movie. Right. And, and my scene pretty much established it. Right, right, right. With yeah. a lot of how, you know, 
it, a lot hinged on that two minute sequence of who's this big guy with the flat top. It was a cutting you know, moment. It was a cutting moment in the film. And you know what? I think they did you dirty there because from so everything funny. I hear, that was the director's cut is is magnificent. Uh, <laughs> what was the last time you had a different hairstyle or had facial hair? Eighty three. Super Bowl <laughs> year, I had long hair. You had kind of a mullet. And about a month ago, I had I, I had a a mullet coming in with this whole you know. You looked good, man. You looked quarantine. good. I, I'll you... tell you what, though, my hair is thick. It just. Yeah, I know. We get it. And when the humidity starts popping up here, I, I felt like I had a mop on my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a good head of hair, man. Good for you, man. Uh, all right, so uh, let's see a couple more here. Oh, asking about how good Lester Hayes is and why Lester's not in the Hall of Fame. Also, how good was Greg Townsend? You know, it's one of those ones that I just don't understand. Um, you know, you hear people say stick them, and stick them was legal at that time. and and. And as you know, there are many tricks to the trade. You know, I mean, offensive linemen uh, would spray silicone on their jerseys so you couldn't grab their jerseys and they would tape their pads down. Uh, you know, quarterbacks, for the most part, doctor a ball up one way or another. They're not just taking a ball right out of the box right. and throwing the football. They're roughing the football up. They're doing whatever. Um, I. I uh, what what do you think? You guess. With uh with Lester? Yeah. I don't know. I, I do think it's strangely like, and you you've said the same thing about like Tom Flores, like I know. with the Raiders, who are such a storied franchise, how some of these yeah, guys but don't they're get not, in. They're, they're not a popular That's what I'm saying. They're very uh, storied and popular, but kind of not popular in a way. Uh, they're not popular in the room. Right. And you look at the number of Raiders that were first ballot. I was a second ballot Hall of Famer. And I think a number of guys that you know and you've been around were who are great, great all-time players <clears throat> were second ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, I, I think Lester belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think you could give Todd Christensen uh, consideration uh, at some point. He, you know, he was a ball machine mm -hmm. at one point. Tom Flores. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, well, they mentioned Greg Townsend, who's probably not oh, a Hall of Famer, and you but know what? If Greg, so underrated. If Greg played today, yeah. Greg would have 160 sacks. Right. It's just a, because yeah. the game today is built for Greg. Greg came in on third day. He was a third situational pass rusher. Right. So he got all those numbers coming in on third down. Yeah. For the most part, unless it was the end of the game and they're going no huddle. and Right. Right, Greg right. was a great combination of power and speed. He really, really was. And he had a couple of moves that were so unique. He, uh, he would go under on a rip, grab the jersey, and sling because he would get them going so fast. Yeah, he, it's like a weird hump. It's, yeah, it was a hump, but it was like this. It wasn't right. like this. And for people that that as that don't know what the hump move is, and are probably like, "What's a hump move?" That sounds funny. It's what Reggie White did uh, tre tremendously. Like my dad did it. My dad and Reggie were the two that really kind of architect that whole. Reggie came to me in Hawaii at the Pro Bowl, and we we worked on it in a lawn. And how powerful he is is the perfect oh, no, move he... for him. I mean. And you, know, you and you threw a lot of people out of the club with that even before Reggie, but like it's hard to duplicate. Very few people can do it, so it's a difficult enough move to do 
You need timing. momentum, you need leverage, you need timing. But yeah. but for, for for Greg to do that the way dad's describing it, he's not even humping cross body. He's allowing somebody's momentum to carry straight out in front of where he's running. He uses, he you would use their, and, and it's interesting because it's funny you mention him because I saw something on Instagram and it was Greg Townsend's career and pressures and, <clears throat> you know, quarterback sacks. And, and I texted him and said, you were special, my friend. And this was like one in the morning. And yeah. he texted me back and, you know, he texted me today wishing me a happy Father's Day. <clears throat> Greg was such a great teammate. Bill Pakel, Reggie Kinlaw, you know, Lyle, Sean Jones. We had a yeah. pretty good group. Listen to this. Lyle's got over 100 sacks. Greg's got over 100 sacks. Um, Sean Jones got over 100 sacks. Yeah, that's a hell of a group. Right. A pretty darn good group. Even today in a past happy league, um, and of course the alignment are better now with their hands and that sort of thing, and I know that's not across the board. There were some great tackles, but to have a hundred sack guys on one D line at that rate is insane. I haven't well, seen that. As you know, it's it's part of it is what scheme are you playing in? Yeah. Uh, like I remember when we would be playing, I'd be two gapping every play, and mm -hmm. you know, just saying, oh, boom, boom, boom. You know, mm -hmm. pure two gap, no slanting, no you know, not kind of a, a two gap three man front scheme where you're. There's you're, not many of those schemes left. No, but some guys do. They, they, no, there's not a lot of people that do, do straight two gap. But we would look at Minnesota, mm -hmm. you know, with Chris Dolman, Dolman. And, yeah. and, and, and the whole, that whole group and Millard, who was a great player. At 18 um, or 19 in one year. Right. As a three. Yeah. And, and, but they were, they were rushing the quarterback every play. Right. It was one of those defenses where, you know, let's just meet at the quarterback. And if we run into the run on the way, great. And then the Bears was, in my mind, was the perfect mesh of talent and scheme. Yeah. Where at that time, nobody knew how to block it. So you were guaranteed a one on one and often unblocked. Yeah. So playing in that kind of scheme would be great. And I dreamed about playing those kinds of schemes. Craziest uh, Lyle Alzado memory playing with him. Oh, God, there's so many. Whew. Some you can't share, but. Talk about throwing people out of the club. Yeah, quite literally. <laughs> One time in traffic, you know, and I, I called him Three Mile Lyle after Three Mile Island, the nuclear power plant, yeah. because you never knew when he was going to go. You just didn't. Uh, and Lyle could be benevolent and kind and looked out for me. Um, spend time over his house, you know, <clears throat> he was, uh, he was a good friend. It got to the point where I actually bought him a mood ring and mm. gave him the mood ring and it, and it almost came to blows over the mood ring, but you just had to base your whole day on the first hello right. on a Wednesday and say, Hey, Lyle, how you doing? And you could base the whole day on that. And he was uh, an angry guy. Where you know, I think it was Chris Ward. I think was the tackle from the Jets. He ripped his helmet off, <clears throat> tried to beat him with it, and then chucked it thirty yards down the field. Yeah, I mean, it was a different era. I mean, that One was time we were we were driving down the road, and somebody kind of you know cut us off a little bit, and I'm like, oh no. <clears throat> Lyle gets out of the car and 
he's got this poor guy was barking a little bit, which is just a mistake. You know, I mean, just don't bark. Don't bark at the guy who looks like he just got out of Alcatraz. Yeah. And Lyle is, you know, he's benching 570. He's, you know, jacked beyond belief. He's got muscles where you shouldn't have muscles. He gets out of the car and he's got this guy by the shirt, half out of the car, dragging him out the window of the car. And I go over there and fortunately get him off the guy and and we get back in the car and he's angry for the next four or five minutes. But he was. It just depended, it depended on the day. Yep. How's your day going? That was it. You could say hello in the morning and base your whole day off of that. That's so funny because you used to say to me when you when I was a kid, is your mood ring white and bright today? And yeah. I know probably where that comes from. <laughs> from Somebody said, I've heard mention of uh, Howie leaving the stadium with the boys in the car and some fans, in quotes, were shouting negative things. He said he got out and settled things. What was that like? Oh, that was you. Yeah, um, no, but I don't remember it. You were in this, yeah, and I tried to kind of... I remember you. more vividly my mom nearly killing a guy over him being a dickhead in traffic than you. <clears throat> yeah, and people think I'm the one you have to fear. She's the one. <laughs> <clears throat> it was at the Coliseum, and I was recovering from torn ligaments in my ankle, and we were walking up the tunnel, and this guy was yelling um, in the stands, yelling, 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 and... We parked right outside the top, you know, that top of that tunnel at the Coliseum. Mm -hmm. We were parked right across the street from that. And I think I had a Bronco at that time. And, uh, and now all of a sudden through the crowd, you know, people saying, Hey, Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Because we, we didn't have a private parking lot. Mm -hmm. It's not like now. Yeah. And this, this guy, this, these two, three guys who have been heckling me from the crowd, and I'm wired tight at that point. You know, yeah. so anything can kind of, I, I'm ready to go. Fill in the blanks. I right. see the guys walking towards me in the parking lot. Now I'm thinking I'm going to have to kick their asses right here. But I've got my kid with me. I've got you with me. Yeah. So there's this really nice man who I'm signing something for and his car is parked right there. I said, would you do me a favor? Something bad is going to happen. I need to put my son in your car. Can you just sit there with him to make sure that he's okay? Yeah. And these guys came over, and I thought it was going to be a fight. And now they want to make up. Right, of course. Uh, and I didn't want to make up, and I, you know, blew it off. But I, that, was the, that was probably the closest I've come in a parking lot uh, at a stadium to uh to doing that just you know all logic goes out the window when the fence is down and the cattle cross oh. the cattle gate people act a lot different they're totally differently totally so differently. um if people realize what nfl players what what you don't get it's kind of like watching a lion at the zoo or a tiger at the zoo it, it looks like a big majestic animal and it's laying on the ground and then all of a sudden a tiger gets up, runs, and jumps over a ten foot wall, and you go, "Oh my god!" Yeah, <laughs> that's that's. What look, and you know what? It looks it looks normal on the field, but that that athleticism and conflict management, if it spills outside, is not so fun. And that's the thing fans don't understand. That's the reason most fans 
say big mean things on the internet or, you know, from behind a wall. And then when the wall's gone, things change. How about trash talk on the field? Who uh, in your, your day and in Howie's day were the strongest shit talkers? I would say to me, it, it was all, the smaller the guy. I know you were a talker. Uh, Sometimes. The smaller the guy, the more he talked. It was always the DBs. Right. Or a small linebacker because they weren't winded. I was, we didn't substitute them. Right. So if I'm playing 85, 90 snaps, I don't have time to be. Now, there were certain games, maybe with Washington or with Denver. Kansas City. Or with Kansas City. Um, those were some games where there were some words exchanged, but Lyle was the most colorful because uh, Lyle would say, you know, I'm going to meet you in the parking lot. I'm going to kill you in front of your family. Yeah. Like, who comes up with that? Did he think that up at night? Right. <laughs> yeah, Lyle, Lyle, I could imagine one it. that. Huh? And he meant it. Yeah, I, 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 Lyle, I could imagine being one that people are like, I'm going to hold off on inciting this guy this week. You know, it's just like, maybe don't poke the bear. Now, and the one guy I forgot on the alleyway and, and also a guy that you just didn't want to push too far was Chester McLaughlin. Yeah. Who lived with us for a while up in Palos Verde. Yeah, he I remember. In, he said it was a barn. It wasn't a barn. It was a guest house. It's a nice he's house. Like, yeah, he's got me living in the barn. Yeah, stop. <laughs> Chester, stop, Chester. He was the man. He was a great, um, you, I, I thought of him as a house guest, but evidently he was living there. Same thing when Nolan Harrison would come over, shout out yeah. to Nolan. He gave me all his video games when he was done with them. And yeah. I had this great little uh, Nintendo cache that came from him. So, and Sean uh, Jones was with us for a while too. Yep. I, I, I would say on my end, and I was, I was never like, I'm going to come out and talk shit. Um, but if somebody was to push me, I could go from zero to a hundred pretty quickly verbally. And usually right. I was, I was aiming to hurt your feelings and seeing, I want to get you as mad as possible, <laughs> depending on who you are. Now, I don't want to get, there were certain offensive players. You don't want to get mad, but an offensive lineman, I was never afraid of pissing off because if all linemen are mad, they don't play smart. They don't You're say right. the same. They, they overextend. You're right. They're off balance. You get a big fat guy, mad, a big fat guy acts like a big fat guy. and and now, teammates, Brandon Graham talked probably the most, but he never cussed and he was always smiling. So I was like, what are you doing? He was like a video game trash talker, like, you know, the canned the movie version. trash talk, scripted PG, talk. Yeah. Yeah. He, and, and I didn't, you know, but as far as shit talkers are concerned, there was never William. William? Oh, Will. Will Hayes. Will Hayes got my brother to nearly kill him uh, oh. and, and realized that maybe oh. he shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah, that's. You know what? It's just the wrong tree to bark up. Yeah. It's yeah. To bark up. <laughs> I guess it's nice to have the big brother thing, so at least I have a little bit of a mental Thank uh, God edge. for you that day. Thank God for you that day. Yeah, because I pulled him out of there. I actually, How did you he know, not I, get thrown out of that game? I, I think the refs were thinking about our family dinner, and I appreciate that. So. Oh, it was, it, was a, it was a tough day. Yeah, yeah, tougher for the Bears because the Rams, we got one of our rare W's. So, uh, Pops, we got we to gotta go because we got to go grill out uh, and, and, and hang out. But I know people really love having, having you on to listen to all your stories and stuff. Uh, and it's cool on Father's Day to have you on. So, um, Well, I appreciate it. And, and to watch the kind of father you've become is, 
just oh, warms our hearts. Thanks, man. I, I said and I, this, and I know that you're going to be you're going to be stumped for guests when you're up in Montana. So I might make a return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Dad, with the technology, I just want you. I want to break this down for you. I know we're just a room away, but this Zoom thing works across the country, so we're gonna keep rolling, man. But I will say this: I think one of the greatest things about my dad is that it's not just because being a dad, as as we alluded to, and I could already tell in four years, but watching my dad is like a lifelong process. So, like, you're not just the dad that made me food when I was a kid, or like that took me to little league. Now you're my friend and my dad, and that's a totally different job. And I get to yeah. watch you being a granddad and all that stuff. So I think your versatility—you're a versatile player, you're a versatile dad—and uh, you, you've you've hit a home run at every turn. So love you and appreciate you being on, bud. Love you too, man. So signing off. Uh, we will see you Wednesday, and pretty soon we'll go to two pods a week uh, in preparation for you know my vacation and my sanity. Trying to maintain my sanity. Three is tough. But this week, we got three very good pods, including this one that you just heard. I think it was good. Wednesday, we have an NFL quarterback. Friday, we have an NBA uh, retired star, uh, a, a big personality. I'll let you guys take some guesses, uh, and I'll see you all Wednesday.